Hey, we're still here with George Mason University. I'm here with Dylan Scanlon from Deakin University, Australia, and Jenna LaRusso from the University of Limerick in Ireland. Um, they're actually in the same place at the same time, so one of them is not pro in the country that they are representing in the university right now, but we can get to that. Um, so we're here to discuss a hot off-the-press article, uh, Understanding and Extending the Conceptual Boundaries Policy Research in Physical Education. Uh, it was recently published in the European Physical Education Review. Um, you can find the full site of this article in the show notes, as always. So to both of you and down under in Australia, welcome. Thanks, Risto. It's so good to be here. Um, really appreciate the invitation and to talk about what we think is an important topic. Yeah, thanks so much, Risto. We just want to also say a big hello from our co-author, Melody Vixco, who's at Western University in Canada, and she's an education policy colleague. Awesome. So um, I saw a bunch of pictures from this last week uh, from your conference, and um, there was one that said, here are the five policy geeks. So why are you nerding out on policy? Yeah, good good question. <laughs> I think we ask ourselves that question a lot as well. Um, I suppose... For myself, I've been at Pathology Jenna. My PhD was in that curriculum policy space um, and looking at it from a policy sociology point of view. So policy some can, sometimes can be that word that turns people off. And um, when you say the words, people run. So when I found people that ran towards me when I said the word policy, we made a little policy geeks group. What about yourself, Jenna? Yeah, I just think um, once we start, once I kind of got turned on to policy and started to see all the ways in which it influences everything I do, I couldn't not see it. Um, and then when I started kind of unpacking it with people, it helped me to do a better job at what I was already doing and they felt the same way. So I think um, kind of geeking out together is just really productive for us because it really helps us in our everyday work. Do you self-identify as a policy geek or a policy nerd? <laughs> I'll go I'll go with anything as long as policies in the title. <laughs> so, uh Jenna, you talked a little bit about this, but um you said the policy influences a lot. So, can you share how policy influences the day-to-day -day practices in schools and then in, in physical education in general? What's that look like? Yeah, it's something that we'd um speak about a good bit and I'd say that policy influences every aspect of day-to-day -day practices in school physical education even if we or the teachers do not know it. So from uniform policy, attendance policy, like professional development policy, all the way to curriculum policy. And teachers use curriculum every day and curriculum is policy. So the resources they use, the books they use, the professional development are all examples of implicit curric curriculum policy. So even ignoring policy is a policy act because it influences the way that policy plays out. And a, a colleague we all know, Don Penny, said before that pedagogy is policy work and if we understand teachers use pedagogy which I think we can all agree on then teachers are doing policy work whether recognized or not so in um in your paper you talk about and we'll get to the methods but you you reviewed a bunch of papers um and some of those you said I we couldn't differentiate if they saw curriculum as policy and that's kind of like a sticking point so can you give me the two sides? Like, what's a person that doesn't look at curriculum as policy and why do you see curriculum as policy? Mm. 
Yeah, it was a sticking point for us, particularly in the methods, because we didn't want to presume that people thought curriculum was policy. We see curriculum as policy um, and a much broader thing. Curriculum is one part of policy. Um, speaking to others, they see curriculum as that piece of paper, that text, and that's what curriculum is. We see it as a much bigger thing that speeds into policy, but that te text is also policy. How that is enacted is policy. What influences that enactment is policy. So we do see it as something much broader than a piece of text. Okay. Um, so in this paper, you broke down policy. Um, you said analysis of and analysis for policy. Can you explain what the difference between those are? Happy to. Um, in the case of analysis of policy, that's work that's typically done by academic researchers like ourselves. So those kind of analyses might focus on, for example, questions like why was a policy constructed? Uh, what are the taken for granted assumptions in a policy and what effects might this policy have? On the other hand, you have analyses for policy, um, and this is more so done in practice. So these are conducted for the development of policy. Um, so that those kind of analyses might be commissioned by a policymaker, for example, for a really specific purpose. And so often those analyses are constrained in a number of ways, whether it's the time you have available to do it or the approach that you must do it from. Um, and so that kind of work might be the work done to conduct, or pardon me, to develop a new curriculum uh, in, an, in a country, for example. In that case, it's going to be done by curriculum officers um, or on a smaller scale. It could be the development of a school uniform policy. Uh, so in that case, it might be done by a teacher or a school administration team. Um, but in either case, we would just like to mention like the positionality of the person who's doing that analysis it's really going to influence that analysis, whether the person realizes it or not. And just by position, we mean, you know, where someone's located, what their role is, their stance, whether it's theoretical, methodological, or political. So um, we just really recommend being intentionally reflective of your position and, and sharing that position um, in your work, um, but also considering the position of what the positionality of the person who created whatever policy you might be looking at. And so just in the context of this project, though, we're really only looking at analysis of policy, uh, which is done, again, by academic researchers. Yeah, I saw that in your uh, paper, you all had a positionality statement. And because you explained it of why you're going to put a positionality statement in, I wasn't caught off guard. But I think if I was reading a scoping review, and somebody put a positionality statement, I'd be like, why are they putting a positionality statement in there? But also it made me think like, why aren't people who are doing reviews putting positionality statements? Because yes, it is very strict in certain things, but in policy, like you, you had those, like we're not gonna include these because we can't see that they look at the world the same way that the curriculum is policy piece. Um, so was that, consideration of writing that uh, positionality statement, like a big conversation, like a controversial conversation between the three of you? Or were you all like, oh, we should definitely put this, no questions asked? Yeah, I think it it was, I don't know if it was a big conversation, but it was definitely a conversation because even myself and Jenna, who would be similar enough in our thinking around policy, we do have different ideas. Um, Jenna comes from a policy processes point of view. I come from a more sociological point of view. 
which can be complementary, but there are distinctions there. And then Melody from that more broader educational policy piece. So our understanding, as like you said, the world we view is different. So we need to, as researchers, as policy researchers, really make it clear what lens we're looking through. And that's what um, when we speak about the findings later on, we'll talk about um, policy created by medical individuals in the physical education field. That's going to be a totally different outlook than someone who has a pedagogy lens. So this needs to be clear, explicit to make it very explicit again for the reader, I think, get the message across. So the other breakdown you have is you say that policy issues can be approached through a traditional and a critical lens. Um, can you explain what we see in the literature and what kind of the differences between the traditional and critical way of analyzing policy is? Absolutely. Um, I think first um, we thought about the ways in which we could categorize all the different kinds of policy research. And there's so many ways you could do that. But um, we wanted, there's a really good framework that's really often used by some education policy scholars, uh, Rizvi and Lingard, and they kind of talk about these three major categories um, and they each have some subcategories. But so the first category is around contextual issues. So these are when you're asking questions about uh, the history or the political origins of a policy. So you might ask, you know, where did this policy originate? Another big category is policy and textual issues. So you're consider concerned here around the discursive formation of a policy, for example, or, or the structure of that policy itself. So you might ask a question like, what is the problem that this policy has been constructed to solve? Or um, how has this policy been constructed linguistically? And then the last case you might um, be interested in is implementation and outcomes issues around policy. So what are the strategies for the implementation of this policy, you might ask, or what are the intended and unintended consequences? consequences of that policy. And so for each of these three categories of questions, you can come from different perspectives. Um, and again, we drew on uh, an educational policy framework by Diem et al., um, where they talk about these traditional and critical questions. So each of those can be considered in uh, those three categories can be considered in different ways. And really briefly, traditional approaches when you're thinking from a traditional uh, lens, you're going to tend to view policy change as more of a deliberate process that can really be planned or managed um, and evaluated. And so you're really considering policy processes in a really quite sequential series of steps um, that happen in a quite straightforward pattern. Um, in this case, humans are considered to act rationally within the processes. Um, so kind of in summary, a traditional approach is kind of a neutral scientific approach that's considered to be carried out by more kind of rational and expert researchers who use these theory-supported models um, to facilitate responsive change. So in contrast, then, we have critical approaches, um, and these are where we're more interested in considering the difference between the rhetoric of policy and the actual practiced reality of that policy. Um, you might be more interested in how a policy emerged, those problems that it was intended to solve, how it how that policy has changed or developed over time, how it's reinforcing a dominant culture, what are the effects of that policy on inequality and privilege, how are people resisting that policy. Um, so a critical approach is kind of takes a more complex view um, in, in the sense of how policies are constructed and enacted. 
Um, and I think the thing we do want to emphasize here, though, is that whenever you put research into categories, it can be a really reductive process. So um, we also want to appreciate all the work that happens in between those distinct traditions. And we certainly don't want to say one category is um, better than others. I just think they're useful here um, to think in terms of categories uh, as a heuristic device for us to, to think more about the way policy can be done. So if I say an example of a traditional policy research would be, um, I want to see what effect did adding mandatory recess to, um, to an elementary school district would have on kids' physical activity. Um, certainly like, uh, like goal would be like, what is the effect of this policy on um marginalizing indigenous uh students or native uh, american students or girls or whatever and over the history of or the last 20 years what has this single policy done on and then you're looking at more like sociocultural factors that might be affected is that am i off no i think that sounds like a pretty accurate description pass the test all right yeah well done uh, <laughs> So let's get into very briefly, what what did you do in this study? It's a scoping review, but can you talk through your methods really quick? Yeah, I'll briefly talk on this because this can be sometimes the boring part. <laughs> um, but we did, yeah, we did a scoping review, which allowed us to categorize the research out there. So we wanted to know what the extent, nature, the range of empirical international research in this area was, which hasn't really been done in a comprehensive way before. And um, so we were looking at a 10-year period, 2010 to 2020, which was in English, peer-reviewed and empirical. And we limited it to articles where policy was the focus and the authors had to be explicit about this. And we also focused it on school physical education at a K-12 level. Um, after doing the database search, removing duplicates, we were left with 3,438 articles. So it was a pretty, pretty big task um, for us to get through. And then after we had the inclusion exclusion criteria, the abstract reviews, the full text screening, we got down to 117 included articles. And then from those, we extracted the analyzed number of categories. So we looked at research approach, methodologies, data gathering approaches, participants, the policy issue, and the policy approach, traditional or critical, uh, that Jenna spoke to there. I suppose that's a, a small glimpse into a year's workload that caused me to go gray a bit. <laughs> Um, I've been there with those reviews and, um, yes, it's, it's a great idea. You want to do it. It's really important, but it is a lot of meticulous, long scrolling through thousands of abstracts to say, nope, nope, nope. What is this abstract about? Like just trying to figure out like what? So, um, I, I feel you. Um, so can you provide like a top line, like what, what are like the major, most important, uh, findings that came out from the, the stats that you presented in this, um, in this review? Yeah, I can give, uh, like five quick findings, I suppose. Uh, the first was around the articles, the amount of articles per year and over that 10 year period, it can be seen that there is a slight increase in each year in policy research, which, um, we think is a good thing. Um, in terms of topics, so what's the research, the policy research actually researching? The top three topics were uh, specific policies, so actual, for example, curriculum policies, 
The second was equality, diversity and inclusion or social justice um, policies, policy research. And the third was physical activity. So that gives an indication of what people are actually researching in this space. Interestingly, the national context of research, so what was the, where the research was done, out of the 117 included, the most frequent was on the US of A, um, with 43 articles there. And second was England with 13, and then followed by Australia 12. So we can see the predominance of research being produced in the United States. Um, interestingly, when we look across categories, we can see the most research published from a traditional approach came from that American context, whereas the research uh, conducted in England, Scotland, and the majority of Australia was critical in nature. Um, what we found interesting particularly was around the policy definition that out of those 117 articles, only nine offered a definition. And even in those nine, there was a real variety of how they um, defined. Some went with that bracket approach, like policy bracket IE, or some drew on policy scholars. Some gave definitions within their own context of study. So it was very varied, which we might get to later about how that can cause some confusion. And then finally, I suppose that traditional critical piece that Jenna spoke to out of the 117, 68 were categorized as reflecting a critical approach to policy research, while 49 were categorized as reflecting a traditional approach. So that's some interesting findings there again, when we look across categories and what that means when we compare different categories. We also said if you would take the US out of it, like we, the policy research outside of the US is almost entirely critical. Yeah. So I I didn't see this in the paper that you didn't like, you know, smash down the US for being so traditional, but like why do you why do you think it is that the US does almost entirely traditional policy research whereas as soon as you go to other countries that are smaller in number and that's one of the things you said too like the U.S. has over 330 million people and tons of really good universities and a lot of researchers and every researcher has to publish to get tenure. And so there's all these pieces coming out. But why do you think that one country has so much traditional, whereas the rest of the world is doing the, the critical work? Yeah, we want to emphasize again that we're not saying that critical work is better than traditional work. We actually advocating the paper for a broad range of different works. So we did really want to get that message across. And we had a number of reasons that we might, uh, that there is a predominance of traditional approaches in the US for including maybe political systems, like historical trends in research. And um, one of the major things that was coming true was that the majority of the research published in the US on physical education policy was conducted for an audience outside of physical education and by authors who do not consider themselves as physical education professionals. So for example, public health researchers. That was one of the main reasons when we actually looked into the paper and that comes back to where we started this podcast about the importance of sharing your positionality. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Aaron Beagley and I wrote this, um, kind of like a review, not, not a systematic review, but an overview of policy in the U S. And it's it's still in review. We presented it at a conference in um, at University of Illinois, and we saw that that too. That there's this one scholar, I think, from Northwestern or something, and that lab does a lot of policy on PE. But that scholar is a public health scholar, 
And a lot of those publications are just like big data sets, trying to figure out, taking a ton, like you got a doctoral student and say, all right, your project this month is to look at this data set, take PE as this, you know, independent variable and run all these stats and publish a paper. And so we saw a ton of that um, and very, because like the Hans von der Mars article you cite in there, the 2021, he talks about how, you know, U.S. is in policy neglect. We're not, uh, we're not doing the policy work. So it was very interesting to me to see how much actual policy work you found in the U.S. Like, if you just look at numbers, the U.S. is the global leader on policy, right? But they're not like it is in in Australia. Like, people who are doing PE policy research are physical educator, like teacher educators or researchers. Um, so I found those numbers to be really interesting. Um, and we, we advocate in the paper of saying like, you know, we should work with those people to give them at least like a little bit of insight of what it is to be a physical education teacher or these policies that they're just writing these papers and PE people are citing them, but they're kind of, I don't know, they're like invading our field a little bit, you know, but they're doing the work that nobody else is doing. So I don't, I don't really know. Um, I don't, I don't know if it's bad. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily bad, but maybe what we would advocate is for more physical education policy research to be done. Yeah. Um, within our fields to give that broader perspective. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I agree, Risto, just to highlight the impact that other fields are having on our profession. Um, so I think it's just really important for us to read that work um, with a critical eye and just consider whether the authors might come with dif different disciplinary values and beliefs like the medical model that may or may not align with with our physical education values and practices. So definitely don't, we can't disregard this work, but if we can look for opportunities to partner uh, with um, these individuals and work across disciplines to really balance perspectives and look at that particular, um, you know, problem that policy is trying to address, whether it's physical activity or physical education, and look at it from a more holistic perspective. Because I'm, I'm sure there's lots to be learned from um, the perspective that they're coming from, and I'm sure that they could appreciate the perspective um, that we all have as, as physical educators. So, um, hopefully, we can see more of this in, happening in the future. Can you expand on that and kind of explain the medical model and how does that kind of work on to because you hear this a lot, right? And it is, uh, I don't know if I want to say this out loud, but a lot of people from Australia talk about the biomedical model towards PE. And it's it comes up in a lot of like introductions that I read in, um, in any paper that comes from that critical lens from Australia. Whereas you see something in research quarterly and exercise and sport, they don't talk about the medical model being bad. So can you explain what you describe as the medical model and how does that kind of influence or, you know, how is it situated in policy research? I won't give a definition, let's say, of the medical model or speak from an Australian perspective. Certainly, I don't have uh, two weeks on here for a conference isn't enough to speak to that. But um, I think just considering, um, you know, physical education as something that can, for example, 
change students' health status. That would become approaching our profession from a more a medical approach. Whereas in other contexts, we see physical education, um, we're, we're focused more on the educative value and it's uh, there to teach knowledge, skills and attitudes uh, so that students can take that along their life and uh, hopefully pursue a healthier and and a more well life. So it's taking a different uh, approach for the rationale of, of why we're doing the subject area. So then any policy, for example, that's um, Policies are created to solve a problem. So if you see a problem, um, you know, around physical inactivity that physical education is created to solve, or if you see a problem around a lack of education uh, about movement that physical education is created to solve. So you can see how policies would be created in quite different ways depending on how you see the problem um, and what a kind of model you're coming from. I hope that speaks to what you were thinking about a little oh, absolutely. bit. Absolutely. And I think like would you say that that medical model is aligned with those policy research papers from the U.S., like the Lounsbury and Salas, and that they, you know, that, that like even like Spark PE, that is trying to make sure that you get X amount of moderate to vigorous physical activity. The curriculum was set so you could make sure that 50% of the class was MVPA because you want those health benefits. Is that um, like, is that what it is or is it more so like that the body is looked at as a machine like that you have to like fuel and all those kind of like uh comparisons i won't claim to remember all 117 of the articles by name at this moment i'd have to i definitely would have to um look up uh each one and and i think what we were just talking about there was more of the kind of big picture philosophical uh, perspective. We don't know, um, we can make interpretations uh, perhaps about what we're, the perspective we think um, someone is coming from. Um, of course, if they don't indicate that, um, we can't say for for sure. Um, so we certainly be, speak in, in broad strokes. And then that's really the important then about uh, this scoping review helps us to kind of set some general boundaries. And then we need to go and talk to people, I think. And and uh, think think a little bit more about um, how they're thinking and because we can only get so far kind of uh, with the scoping review. So it's exciting that you're tipping us to the next kind of things we need to do uh, in this work for sure. So I think this is a good transition to ask about what were your suggestions on the field moving forward? Because you have, I mean, the forward, the, the whole title of the paper was um, looking at uh, understanding and extending the conceptual boundaries. So where where do you feel like the research field should be moving? Um, like what are some topics? Like if you're if a doctoral student is listening to this, is interested in policy, like what's kind of that next step or that maybe less explored area? That's a really, really good question. That's what really excites us. Um so I think generally speaking, whatever work you're going to do, um, uh, com coming back to what we talked about earlier, it's really important that if you're doing any work related to policy and physical education, just be sure that you um, are clear about what you mean by policy in that work. So some kind of definition or explanation, if you can do, just so that 
um, that your work is going to be better understood and accessed by others, especially those that are, are new to policy. Uh, we don't want to scare them away. We want to bring them in. Um, so I think that's a general comment. But uh, to your point, Risto, about, you know, what kind of specific projects might someone engage in? One of the key recommendations that um, that we make relates to that finding that Dylan mentioned that implementation studies feature most strongly in the physical education policy research that we reviewed. So we would recommend that more attention be given to those other two categories, so contextual and textual issues. Um, and the reason that we say this is if we continue to primarily consider enactment and implementation of policy, but not also the historical political origins, so those contextual issues, or the discursive formation of policy and policy problems, so those textual issues, um, then as a field, we're going to continue to create policies uh, that have similar flaws. Like just as one example, we might continue to produce policies that aren't developed with the participatory involvement of a wide range of stakeholders. Um, and when we do that, we know that we can um, reveal solutions to common implementation issues. So in that paper, we use the metaphor of triangulation, uh, which, as we know, signifies considering a problem from more than one angle. So what we're advocating here is that if we want to think about policy and health and physical education um, in a more holistic sense, we need to consider it from a textual textual and implementation angle. And this might be done within the context of a single project or separate projects. But um, if we can just get that balance between those categories, I think we'll know a lot more about policy in health and physical education. Um, so as we kind of wrap up the uh, rapid fire questions at you about policy, which you've done very well at, even me going off script, um, so you mentioned a few ways that your scoping review might influence practice and research agendas. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, we re like one of the main aims, and we really hope that this uh, scope review, this research, can be useful for those to enter the physical education policy space. It introduces them to the research landscape. And for those who are already in the space, it gives ideas of where we can look to fill gaps within the literature. So we really as from the very start of podcast, if you want to get more policy geeks out there, get them on board um, and start to self-identify as a geek or a, a nerd within policy. And this scope of our view can introduce people into this. Um, and if we get those people on board, we hope that it encourages those interested to be more reflexive about the position they are coming to, to the research from and which perspectives may be most beneficial to the experiences and outcomes of physical education teachers and students. And I think that came across this whole podcast. We kept going back to the positionality, we really advocate for people to have their positionality within policy research because it really does give an insight into the lens that their researchers use when conducting policy research. Yeah. And so thank you for doing this review. I, I know the reviews are so, so like daunting, especially with 3000 abstracts to start, but you know, the hard work is really helpful for especially people, like you said, that are coming into the field that are trying to like wrap their head around what type of policy research is being done, what is policy research, and where should I be going? And and I know a couple of doctoral students who are in the U.S. who are doing um, policy research, and I think there are more and more people who are hearing the older folks in the field saying, 
hey, we have to do some policy research to actually back up the decisions that we're doing and seeing how these are working. And um, I would say mostly the younger scholars are are picking up and you know answering that call and going forward and doing some cool dissertation uh, dissertations on them. So. Um, which you will hear more about with um, a new uh, dissertation dish piece that we're doing on the podcast, which highlights uh, a bunch of new um, uh, recent dissertations, and Michael Hemphill will be launching that uh, next year. But um, with that said, I want to thank you both for for sharing your passion because you're clearly passionate about it. Um, and which is the best way to do the research. And that's how you get through a 117 uh, article scoping review because you like what you do. And I think the work that both of you are doing like as far away from each other in Ireland and Australia as you can get. Um, it's cool that, you know, Zoom connects us and uh, we're able to do this kind of uh, international scholarship. So um, love what you're doing. I think the paper's great. I've put the link into the show notes and hopefully people can listen to this and get a, get a better understanding of what you all are doing. Oh, thanks a million, uh, Risto. Thank you so much for having us on. We enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Risto. It's uh, thank you for shining a light on this topic so that we can geek out about it. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, so that's all we have for you on this one. Uh, as always, I want to thank Alba Rodriguez for her work on uh, producing the podcast and I uh, hope you enjoy the read. Thanks.